Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voice and the host of Inside Personal Growth. And I have joining me today, Greg Seltzer, uh, who has written a book called 27 Questions to Make You Sweat, a workout guide for the soul. Good day to you, Greg. Where are you joining us from? Thanks, Greg. I am right outside of New York City in Westchester, about 30 minutes north of the city. Well, great. It's glad to have you on Inside Personal Growth. I always like to share a little bit about our listeners, but the key I'll say is Greg has a wonderful website that you can go to, and at that website, you can learn more about Greg. It's gwscoaching.com. There you'll find a full bio about him. Uh, Greg's got a fascinating background, but he's a certified life coach, seeker, and a traveler. He's been teaching and motivating people for over 25 years. So I'd highly recommend that uh, for my listeners, you go there. And Greg, thanks for being on the show. Let's start this off yeah, with uh, these 27 questions. We're certainly not going to get to all of them, but (laughs) um, you tell a story about your girlfriend at the time who was moving out and was tossing books into this big black bag. I love the way you started this book. You came across a book and she and and you pulled it out of the pile with the directions to read it. She told you to read the book. That book was yeah. Think on These Things by Krishnamurti. Um yeah. what was it about that book that had such an impact on your life? Um, kind of moving forward here, because you write in your bio that Krishnamurti had a tremendous impact on you. Yeah, it's a good you know, I think Greg that that I mean because this is, a, I mean, I get the feeling that you're sort of in this field and so you're familiar with sort of the spiritual terrain. I'm a big believer in spiritual evolution, meaning like, you know, when it's your lifetime to sort of get hip to the past, then it's your time. Mm-hmm. And I think, that, I think when I read that book, because I hadn't really, the only other spiritual book that I'd ever read was The Way of Zen by Alan Watts. And I read that when I was 16. Um, but I don't, I mean, that may have planted a tiny seed. And also my father and mom were both atheists. So I never went to church. There was really, my dad was a Freudian analyst. So there was no talk of, of God really. So when I read to Krishnamurti, the thing that I love so much is that he said, just keep looking inside. Don't listen to anybody. You listen to yourself and you keep digging and you keep staying focused inside because the in the interior world your inner life your inner light what is going on inside of your mind that is the only truth yeah and and that's what this book is all about is to examine that you ask these questions very poignantly of the readers um and i think that book did it for you and i i think that you know when you look at kirshnamurti's work and you look at all these people that you've definitely now read, you know, having yeah. grown up with um, an, in an agnostic kind of situation, it certainly right. has had an impact on you. And the first question in your book is, for our listeners, is do you examine your life? And you tell this story about your sister, Lizzie, and you state right. that your belief systems are really far apart, meaning you and your <laughs> sister. Um, totally. which, which ends in a disagreement between the two of you. Um, uh-huh. You state that in Socrates' terms, I'm going to examine my life, and in particular, this habit of 
no win fighting. Uh, and look, this happens in a lot of people's marriages, partnerships, whatever it might be. It doesn't matter. It's somebody's got to right. be right, right? What advice exactly. do you have for our listeners about examining your life and especially around this story? You know, I thought this story was pretty poignant about Lizzie. You guys just agreed to disagree and you finally came to the point that it wasn't worth fighting anymore. Yeah, because, you know, the thing is my sis and she just, I mean, I'm going to be totally honest. My sister and I, we, and I have a brother who also, there's some stories with him in there. We are in completely different worlds, Greg. I mean, my sister is a materialist. She's not a thinker. She doesn't like to think. She is not particularly interested in the spiritual life. She's not particularly interested in politics. She's not, she's just, she's like, she loves reality TV. She loves going to the mall and buying clothes. And so that can be a little troubling for me because I'm not a materialist in any way. Like that doesn't excite me to go shopping. doesn't excite me. Um, and so I've had to really look and say, but I do love her. You know, she's my sis. I love her. And is it's always that question of what is the most effective way to share love with someone like that, where you disagree on so many deep, profound ideas. And, you know, I'm not going to say that I've always been amazing at it. I mean, it's a constant, you know, it's a continually learning thing, but um, I think I, I generally like to err when you have someone in your life that you don't agree with, if you keep in the forefront of your mind that you love this person, and the most important thing is that you want them to feel your love, then I think generally it's hard to, to, to be like, I'm right and you're wrong. You know, if you want them to feel your love, you got to say at some point, you know, what, baby, it's okay. Um, we just don't see eye to eye on this. And, you know, someday you might see where I'm coming from. You might not. Yeah. And, you know, you know, I think it's important. And, you know, surrender, you know, people talk about surrender and surrender is a really important thing and surrendering yeah. doesn't mean giving up it exactly. just means that you're letting go inside of this fight to have to win and you have another totally. question in there because this goes right along with it how do you create more peace in your life and you recommend yeah. meditation and journaling at the end of the chapter and there's an mm -hmm. exercise and you ask questions and i think anybody who's good at coaching counseling doing podcasts is a good question. <laughs> yeah. um, what advice would you give the listeners about setting up this regular practice of meditation and journaling to get more peace in their lives? Because obviously, you know, you being a musician for a while, uh, a yeah. professional well, tennis still, player. I get, and I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm still a know. musician. I mean, that's still a big part of my life. Yeah. And you, you know, you hung out, you talk about your sister, you hung out with some pretty rich people. You kind of talk about them in the book. So um, any rate, what advice are you going to give our listeners today that you could say, hey, look, this would make a huge impact and difference in your life to create more peace in it? Okay. I think the thing, if I had to say one thing, and it's something I believe, because I've been meditating for 25 years and I meditate, you know, more than an hour every day, but what I think is the most important thing is that to have some kind of practice that is regular. I think it is more important to meditate five minutes a day every day than 20 minutes every fifth day or 30 or an hour once a week. It's the daily. That is what really starts to 
show some impact in your life, that it is a daily check-in. It is a daily grounding. And if you can make the commitment even to five minutes, that to me is when things can really start to transform. And it's not, you know, the thing about meditation, and there's a line in the book where I say, because, you know, we live in a society, as you know full well, Greg, that medication is really a big piece of the mental health puzzle at the moment. And it's a line where I say, and I, the, 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 you know, medication definitely has its place. But the hugest difference between medication and meditation, medication, you don't have to do anything, no work. Meditation, you have to do all the work. That to me is huge. Because when you have to do the work, you're now engaged. You know what I mean? It's almost like if someone gives you 10 grand, as opposed to you working for 10 grand, you're going to have a different relationship with that money. That's just a fact. You know, you just are. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think with meditation, the monkey mind is something that people try to learn to calm all the time. But it isn't yep. just all about the monkey mind. We all know the monkey mind is there and it's going to come and it's going to go. But again, yeah. it's about surrendering and letting it go, right? There's a lot in your book here. <laughs> about surrendering and you tell this story about what makes you angry a chapter about a disagreement with mr klein someone that right. you taught listen tennis lessons to and uh -huh. your argument was um who was right over the minimum wage being increased and this guy was right. you know, talking about this minimum wage you state that there are two basic ways we express anger what are those ways and how can we learn to control our anger to have more peace in our lives because really that one of the biggest upsetting things is us getting angry at stuff we do and angry right. at stuff that other people we think are doing to us totally i mean greg you're asking a really tough question and you're making me sweat a little because it's so hard i think First of all, I'm a huge believer in anger. I think anger is a beautiful emotion. I really do. And I think it's important to be able to express it. But the thing about it is being able to express it in a way that is not first damaging. Well, I mean, first ruining the conversation. Like if you get too angry and too rageful, you can't, that's not a conversation anymore, right? That's just, that's fight and nothing comes out of that. And so to be able to express anger really does in a healthy way, because I'm, again, I'm not scared of people being angry because I actually do believe there's such a thing as righteous anger. I, I think that that's real, but the real, the, 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 the real tough part is being able to express it where you're not out of control. And that's where some kind of practice, a meditation practice, a prayer practice, a yoga practice, that is keeping you grounded so when you're getting angry you're consciously angry and you're not slipping into the habit and you're unconsciously going there and as you know obviously because you've been on the path a long time and you have a deep understanding of these ideas for most people when they start getting really angry they're out of control they're actually not in control of the anger and being in control of the anger comes about from having some kind of spiritual grounding. 
you know, and that to me is why I, I mean, you, you know, it sounds like you've definitely read a lot of the book and it's, I just, I constantly say over and over, it's really important to have some kind of practice, some kind of spiritual practice that is grounding you to the here and now, and it's keeping you in the moment. So when you start getting angry, you're conscious of getting angry, which means at any moment you can bring it back. And I just want to give this little example because this happened a while ago and I, because I, I can tend to get very emotional. I can get, I can start going crazy. I mean, I can get really loud. And so this friend of mine, we're going at it because he was saying something that was really getting me angry. And he's like, you're totally out of control. I stopped. I sat on the ground in full lotus. And I said, Matthew, I'm happy to talk to you. Is it easier for you to understand me like this? Because it was like I was in control of it. I just right. felt like it was necessary to get loud. You know, sometimes it's important and it's okay. But right. the key is that you are controlling it and it's not your habit. Well, you know? I, I like the statement you make actually at your website. Your website says, you know, pain it, we're all going to have, but suffering is an option. And, you know, as a Buddhist precept, I think that that's the reality. Yes. Okay. Maybe this pained you, but the choice for you to take it in and suffer with it is really totally up to you. And I, I like this, your book, because you've got lots of questions. We certainly won't be able to get to all of them, but you say, how do you spend your time? That's one of the 27 questions. And you ask people to log their activities. You know, we're at the beginning of a new year here now. Everybody's doing, we just had BJ Fogg on tiny habits. Um, we've had quite a few people that have been talking about, okay, how do I control my habits? Right. And this is yeah, one. Yeah. You say, okay, hot and cold sacrifice or resentment. What mm -hmm. do you hope people will take away from the exercise of logging their activities and finding out what they want to do? Cause you're really asking them to dig down. This is the same thing BJ says also yeah. near all. Uh, uh, in indistractable, he talks about log every minute of your day. Okay, right. So this is another author, you saying, kind of right. do the same thing and look at. <laughs> right. It. What do you hope yeah. people are going to get out of it? You know what I think, Greg. It's interesting because I don't know that other book, but it, it, you know, I'm obviously it resonates because when you do that, now you're seeing in black and white where your energy is going. And if you really do that exercise for real and you do and you're honest about the sacrifice part, then you get to see without any emotional attachment, wow, I actually do spend a fair amount of time doing that activity that I really don't want to do and that I feel guilty about. That then gives you a chance and an opportunity to say, okay, do I want to continue doing that? You know, because so many things that we do when they're when they're done in habits, we don't get to, you know, a habit is something that's unconscious, you know, so we're not really able to look at it and change. And I think the, the reason that other people, you know, other authors, thinkers want people to do this is because it gives them a chance to, again, without the emotional attachment, to see where is their energy, where is the time being spent. And when you can look at it, in a calm way, that's, that to me is when you have an opportunity to say, okay, you know what, man, I'm not spending enough time doing those things that really matter. Well, and it's, it's a great awareness tool. And that's what I like, because, you know, I think a lot of people are 
you know, they just allow the unconscious and subconscious to just kind of take over. Uh, this totally. really makes you extremely conscious of, you know, what's going on. And, <laughs> right. and I think in one of those areas, you have a, a question you say, when is enough enough? Um, right. And you speak with Mr. Klein again, um, right. who at this time is worth, you say in the book, about $1.05 billion. You state right. that Mr. Klein wanted money for the power that it gave him. You then go on to state that money and evil are dancing in the same mosh pit. That evil <laughs> comes from not understanding that money is only a placeholder and where the evil split uh, is, seeps in and the happiness seeps out. And that's what you were just kind of saying about your sister. Very materialistic, yeah. going to the shopping mall, not right. doing any spiritual work. What advice do you have for our listeners just in general about money? Because money can be one of the biggest fears, but also the most powerful ways to make changes in the world. Totally. I'm glad you asked that, Greg, because it's something that I talk about nonstop because of my experience of you know being a very spoiled, privileged young kid and then having to become poor for a while. I think the first thing, and it's something I talk about all the time and I think is really important, is what I call the rel relativity factor. And so Albert Einstein, last I heard, told us that relativity, in fact, is real, right? It's, it's real. It's a scientific fact. It's not a theory. It's relativity is real in this world. So when we talk about money, if you're someone that has some money and you're making a decent amount of bread, I think one thing that we don't do in our society is we, we forget that money is relative because if you make, let's say you're doing pretty well, you make $150,000 a year, okay? That's $3,000 a week. So when you, when you spend $1,000, that's one-third of your weekly income, right? Okay, you spend a thousand dollars. You're making yeah. three thousand a week. Mm -hmm. But let's say now you're someone that's making fifty thousand dollars a week. I mean, fifty thousand dollars a year. One that's a thousand dollars a week. So one third of your income is about three hundred and thirty dollars, right? Right. So when you, the one making a buck fifty, spend a thousand, and the other guy making fifty spends three hundred, the fact is. Those are literally the exact same amount of money in terms of how it's affecting your life. It is literally the exact same, but we don't do that. We have this idea in our society like oh, that was a thousand dollars. Well, well, who? Well, how much money do you have? It's not a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? If you're making ten grand a week, a thousand bucks is like ten cents to the guy that's making fifty grand or making even thirty grand. Right. And. You know, I think perspective, and that's one of my questions in there, I think it is so important to keep money in perspective. And look, I just, one of my very close friends is a doctor. I love him. We're, we're, he's, I call him my girlfriend because I talk to him almost every day. And, you know, we've been, I'm, we're talking about the fact that he's just deeply attached to his money. You know, he acts like, oh, Greg, I only have $2 million. It's like, yeah, dude. And three and a half billion people on planet Earth live on less than three two dollars and fifty cents a day and you're telling me you don't have enough money 
you know, it, it gets pretty insane. Yeah. And well, there is a disparity, as we know, and it continues to get widen and widen, and the gap gets deeper and deeper with the people that have the worth and the people that don't right. have the worth in, in this world. And that incongruity is something that, as a world, we have to work on to change, yeah. uh, to have some equanimity, uh, equanimity amongst uh, yeah. the world. And I agree in that. And I know that we're running out of time, and I want to make sure that I'm yeah. sensitive to your time. And I have oh lots God. more questions, but we may Dude, have I feel to like come back come, on. And, I'd love to come back, yeah, because I feel like and, we're just getting started. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I do want to be sensitive because uh, you have another podcast you've got to do. But I do appreciate you being on the show, Greg, and spending a little bit of time with my listeners. And for my listeners, um, we've been on with Greg Seltzer, who wrote this book with Patrick McCord, PhD. The book is called 27 Questions to Make You Sweat, a workout guide for your soul. Um, We'll see if we can have Greg back on again. We'll also uh, put links to his website, which I mentioned before was GWS Consulting. I'm sorry, gwscoaching.com, which we'll have a link to that. We'll also put a link to Amazon, to the book itself. And I'll put also a link uh, to a video that Greg did uh, that I think is pretty compelling at the front part of that website. So, Greg, thanks for being on Inside Personal Growth and spending a little bit of time with us today and with the listeners. Thank you so much. I also wanted to just share, I also have an Instagram where I do a little Every few days, I do what I call my message of love, peace, and truth. So you can check that out. That's just Instagram, Greg Solzer. That's awesome. We will put that up there as well. Thanks so much, Greg. Namaste to you. I appreciate it, man. Thanks.